Hi, Kristen. Hey, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> thanks for having me. Nice. So your name, I just learned, is Gisha. Gisha, yeah. Damien Gisha. Thanks for coming on the uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're originally from? Because yeah. you are here in Berlin with us. Yeah. So I've been in Berlin for 10 years, but I'm originally from France, south of France, Provence. Um, and yeah, I moved to Berlin 10 years ago to learn German. And I've been here since because my German is still shit. <laughs> Your German is great. <laughs> no, but like the idea was to move to Berlin to improve my German and then go back to France and become a translator. Oh, really? And I, that's when I started working in hospitality and I realized, holy shit, I can actually speak English, German and French and get people drunk at the same time. So you, that's because what, at one point in time, you were living in London, right? Yeah, I lived in England, in Hertfordshire, actually, before ah, really? moving to Berlin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how I learned English. And yeah, so I always thought like, hey, if you want to do something, might as well go boss to the war. So when I um, when I finished high school, I went to England. Then um, when I wanted to learn German, I moved to Berlin. And I thought that would be the end of it. I'd go back to France and settle there. But actually, I kind of liked it here. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Did you have any German under your belt when you moved here? I mean, under my belt, like in the fucking basement. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's uh, no, I, yeah, I could order food or drinks, but that's it. Um, so that's why I was like, yeah, I need to go to the country to learn the language. And uh, so that's why like I, I don't come from like a hospitality family. Like no one in my family is, has a hospitality background. My dad was a school director. My mom worked in social services. So it was like brand new world to me, which made it very exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you say your dad was a squad director? Uh, school. Oh, school. Like, right. uh, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's kind of a squad. It's just a, not a really good one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. So that's that was all new to me. Okay. And when did the when did the bartending come in? Because you're a relatively well known bartender in the world. In, so in, when when did like when a, did cocktails? Uh, in the world, don't <laughs> Well, actually, uh, in Berlin. So the idea was like, I moved here and I was like, I'm going to learn German for three months in, in school. So I went to the Goethe Institute, which happens to be Next door. here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was like, if I'm going to stay here and soak in the culture and try to like really immerse myself and speak German every day, I'd rather find a job. And I also need to pay rent. So uh, the one of the guys that I was in school with, Sean, um, ran a bar called Redwood. That's not that's closed since, but on in Bergstrasse in Mitte. And I went for drinks, and I was like, "This is fucking great." I never had a cocktail before, and uh, I asked him, "I was like, do you by any chance need someone to like wash glasses or something? Like, is I'd really like to learn more about cocktails." And uh, he was like, "Well, actually, we're looking for a bartender, and if you're willing to learn, I'll teach you the basics." Cool. And uh, and so I'm like, in German, you have a word called, uh, it's Quereinsteiger. So it's like when you start something, like you learn the trade whilst doing it. So you didn't study anything. You just started doing it. And I'm definitely like the a Quereinsteiger, which is, I think, something that I've kept since is this excitement of like, it's okay not to know something as long as you're excited and as long as you're willing to learn, then that kind of like you know, it's, it's a good enough, it's a good start, you know? So building an airplane mid flight. Exactly. Is what I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good way to do it. And if you're lucky enough to be surrounded by people who have the patience and time and also to be in a, in a business that allows that kind of like, uh, mistakes, uh, mistakes and also allows the time and structure to, uh, to learn and to, to teach, 
then I think it's the best way to learn, especially when you're a business owner and that you want to mold people to your standards. Yeah. I think that's it's fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. Also to try and like continue allowing, not continue allowing, how do I say this? A lot of the time, uh, people that end up in hospitality start as a creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then that creativity gets bashed out of them and they get taught how to be, for less of a better term, like a soldier. Do, do as I say. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And like when you get, I've had workplaces in the past that like allowed me to make mistakes and didn't kind of like slap your hand when they made mistakes. They're mm-hmm. like, what, do you, what have you learned? Does it taste good? What have we learned? Like you're like, I've learned that this tastes terrible. <laughs> you don't put milk exactly. with that. <laughs> yeah. It's uh well, the thing is, it's something that I could talk for hours about, which we don't have now, but um, you don't really have any kind of like international standards for hospitality. Hospitality is very much a cultural thing. So what it means to be a good server and a good hospitality person in Berlin might be completely different in Canada, in Australia, in France. I think it comes a lot from uh, uh, like cultural, like food food culture in general. Like in, in France, for example, people are very much educated about produce and uh, they like to know where things come from and it might be different in certain countries. So sure. I think it also has a lot to do with personal boundaries and what you're taught where you're taught boundaries start and finish Mm -hmm. as well with hospitality because uh i know that we we being father carpenter and its staff have had problems with uh hospitality in the past because Mm -hmm. what i would consider being an australian gastro pro uh what i would consider hospitality maybe isn't considered hospitality by a japanese woman do you know what i mean and say absolutely uh it's a good point and like I think that's what makes hospitality a very humane business. It's not like just a product. And like as much as a flat white might taste very similar in Berlin when made by a competent person as it does in Australia or in London, I think it's the way that you go about serving it and you go about addressing the customer that changes and has to change based on uh, geographical uh, specifications like and for me, that's what's been really interesting is that in Berlin, the cocktail culture is much, much behind uh, the likes of like Paris, London, New York, Singapore. Why is um, that? I have, I have theories. I have my own experience. Let's, let's hear and, them. Let's uh, hear the theories. One of them is that Berlin, despite being a major capital city in Europe, was still split in two and completely shut from the rest of the world. And, um, international influences for 40 years yeah so uh in the what is it called the glorious 30s whatever like in in the 1960s when um mass consumption and stuff developed and globalization developed berlin was completely left out of that so when the war came down um in in 1991 or whatever um i think that berlin slowly started catching up with international influences but it's been a long way it's it's, it was like starting from way back so um i I think that's one of the reasons is like you know the idea of melting pot only starting much later in berlin can i I ask a question about Mm -hmm. the bars like you've been here for 10 years i've been here for 10 years Mm -hmm. when i first moved here i saw that the coffee when i say coffee scene i just mean breakfast cafes whatever pre pre midday yeah the scene here when i when i first came it was actually for a really short 
living stay holiday. It was back in 2009. And when I first came here, there was one business that sold what I would consider palatable coffee. That's not good, like palatable coffee. You don't spit it out. You don't spit it out, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It doesn't burn on the way down, but you can swallow it. Um, really, really quickly, Berlin went from zero to hero with coffee. Like, but I would say that Berlin has some of the best roasted coffee in the world at the moment. Uh, and it was crazy because so much happened so fast that there were really obvious growing pains of that speed. Like one of them is the, the infamous wanky barista of like telling the customer what they're supposed to drink. Is it the, has it been the same with bar, the bar industry and cocktails specifically? Because cocktails are intense and intricate and like more refined than beer drinking culture, for instance. Yes. So I think the major difference, and um, I don't mean to like compare. I, I'm not. I'm not too privy to like intricacies of the coffee world, but I do feel like one major difference uh, is that coffee is considered a. It's a granted in society. You have your coffee in the morning. And it's actually probably what baristas and experts from the coffee world have to fight against is that as soon as you add value to coffee and you charge people a lot of money for coffee, they're like, well, no, it shouldn't cost that much because I've had coffee my whole life and it's cheap and it should be cheap. So um, in, when it comes to cocktail, I think that's the, actually the other way around. Cocktails have always been considered a luxury. It's not, people aren't like, well, of course I should have cocktails in the evening. And um, anything that is considered a luxury, you have to kind of like break the barriers and you have to uh, encourage people and like make sure that everything in your business uh, breaks the, the, the barriers of like, we are better than you. And um, to try and to motivate people to just ask questions and to be curious and to make mistakes and be as non-intimidating as possible. Okay. Um, so when it comes to the last 10 years that I've experienced in Berlin, which is very palpable for me, I, I can, you know, I can't say for what happened before, but at least in the last 10 years, uh, I've definitely noticed that people are becoming a bit more familiar with cocktail culture. They understand why, um, a cocktail shouldn't cost five euros, even though you have two euros 50 worth of ingredients in a cocktail. Um, however, I still feel like there's a long way for them to understand that. It is not just a luxury. It is um, you can have a casual evening with cocktails, and if you're willing to spend eleven euros for a, a gin tonic, then why not spend eleven euros for a nicely crafted cocktail? And I think that the main difference that people who can afford it choose not to go for cocktails sometimes is that there is still also, if you're willing to blame, so to say, the customer for their lack of experience, there's also a certain learning curve for bartenders as well to try. I, I've seen so many like toxic behavior from bartenders that think that what they're doing is better than anyone in the world and that the, the best, what it actually yeah, is. So and that customers should be lucky to be there, you know? Yeah. And like, it's, it's, I still see it every day. It's like, oh my God, this fucking customer asked me if I can make a pina colada. Well, Ask yourself why they asked you that. Ask yourself why they walked into this bar and thought that it was the right thing to order. It's like, what did you do wrong? If you consider that it's a wrong order, what did you do wrong in this bar to convey the impression that it might be the right thing to order? Because it's at the end of the day, the produce, the product is 
probably something they saw online and um, there's nothing wrong with wanting it. Uh, there is, however, something wrong with going to a cafe and asking for the barista to fix your bike. If they, if, no, like if, if they're like, if they walked into a cafe and were like, oh, this might be the right place for me to get my bike fixed, then your fucking barista did something wrong, right? However, well, if, I think there's like a lot of like communication that needs to happen so that people feel comfortable ordering the right thing for you, you know? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I really don't like the, the trend of like customer blaming. Yeah. It's like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Yes. And that's why they're here because otherwise they would fucking make it at home. It's your job to educate them yeah. just the way, same way that you were educated when you first had your, my first cocktail order was a mojito yeah. and fantastic what, drink. By what someone way. ordered off you? No, or? no. When I went to Redwood for the first time that I went to a cocktail bar, yeah. so in, in Bergstrasse in Mitte, I, ordered, I was like, nice cocktail bar. Can I have a mojito? And uh, I always remember my, my friend's answer, who would have been the same answer to anyone there. Uh, yeah, could make you a mojito. Um, however, Maybe have a little look on the menu. We have different drinks with mints if you want. And if you don't find anything interesting, we'll, we'll go back to that mojito. Sorry, we fix bikes here. <laughs> this is a bike shop. But yeah, it's, I think it's all, it's all about um, how you decide to approach people, you know? And um, if you think, if you as a professional in an establishment think that you're better than the customer, you're in the wrong fucking business, son. And you True should that. <laughs> True that. It's like, it's something that I firmly believe. It's like, uh, this is not for, to make myself sound or look good. It's like, it's the foundation of the hospitality is being hospitable, having empathy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you currently are the creative director of a of a new-ish bar in Neukölln in mm -hmm. Berlin called Wax On. Yeah. Tell us about that. What does creative director so entail? Creative director is a very fancy word to highlight the fact that I'm share operation. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so it's like, I'm good at making cocktails. Uh, at least I'm good at understanding what it takes to put a nice cocktail menu together. Uh, I also like to do um, photography, videography, uh, learn about it. And uh, so that's things that we've identified are uh, valuable at Waxon. So uh, we've decided to uh, split tasks between Joe, the operation director, who is more like back office, making the bar work as a business. And I'm more uh, in charge of anything that is um, product oriented and working together with Joe to make sure that what I put in the glass is not going to ruin the business. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the like MO of, uh, wax on. So like, if you can like sum it up into a sentence, like mm -hmm. what is it, what, what, what is the customer supposed to feel when they walk into the shop? Are they, I think that's a good question. It's actually a, a very good question. It's really hard to answer. It's like, there's a, there's like a, there's people in the bar where they say, if you can sum up your bar in five words, it's an, if you can sum up your concept in five words, it's a winning concept. You know, there's a bar in Barcelona called uh, Two Schmucks that had a five-star five, um, five dive bar. And I think that's fucking amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, it's, uh, it's even four words. We've got one yeah, left if you yeah. want. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I would need a, bit, a few more words for Waxon. I think it's, uh, it's honestly, it's a neighborhood bar with um, high-end standards in terms of like, service and we just want people to feel awesome the second they walk in 
and uh, to want to come back when they leave. Nice. So everything is centered around the, the guest experience. Um, so for example, that, that goes from like the way we greet people, the way we approach people, but also the, the way the menu looks. Everything is supposed to look like, hey, this could be me if I learned a little bit more about cocktails, you know? Yeah. And there's no dumb questions. Uh, at least not right in their face. We laugh at them in the kitchen. <laughs> so so when, it, when it comes to menu design at mm -hmm. Wax On, it is cocktail heavy, right? It's but cocktail heavy, but actually physically on the menu, it's half the page. Okay. So you have eight cocktails, one line, beer, and then one line, wine. And then everything is kind of like described in a way that is as the least intimidating as possible. So if there's... I, I, Sometimes, you know, I, I always believe in like benchmarking comparison. You're always trying to do things either better than someone or um, you always see that someone is doing something worse than you. But it's actually quite hard to be like, those standards are just mine. It's always going to be based on like, you know, comparison to competition, which leads me to say, <laughs> I hate going to a cocktail bar where you feel like uh, the, the way the, the the drinks are described is a fucking dick showing contest. It's like <laughs> clarified blah 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 or like uh, distilled mushroom and stuff. No, because that means absolutely nothing. No one understands what it means. Exactly. Well, it's the same thing. It's like someone I can't remember who said this. It was a long time ago that I read. It. It's like a good author writes a book that everyone can understand. They take something that is like something complex. Let's say something really complex like quantum physics. Yeah. You word it in a way that your 15-year-old kid can understand it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's exactly the same. Well, for me, I like places that make menus like that. And yeah, like putting an ingredient in a dish that is the 40th name down the list in Wikipedia, it's like, no, no, no. It's like, this doesn't make you special. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make you special. It makes you confusing. It's like, do you want to write uh, fucking sodium compound or salt? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, no, it's like, it's good, like good point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it, when it comes to cocktails, it's like we, so on the menu, for example, we're like, okay, what is the best description for this ingredient in a way that will, that people will be like, fuck, that sounds amazing. You know, so we have, uh, if, if it's, if it's uh, a rhubarb cocktail and we're like, okay, is this, is this going to be a fruity drink or is it going to be, we're just going to write, uh, when it comes to the rhubarb, we're just going to write rhubarb. We're, just, we're not going to write rhubarb cordial or clarified yeah, yeah. rhubarb because it doesn't matter. Yeah. We want, if, if it tastes like how it's written, then might as well just write it the way it is. Rhubarb, this drink tastes like rhubarb. And uh, so we actually, we've actually now, we even don't even give cocktails names. So the, the, the most popular drink on the menu is the house sour. It's literally a sour and it's our house sour. So we just call it the house sour. And it, it's always with gin and it's always a sour. So when people see it, it's like house sour. Yeah, I like sour drinks. Oh, it's got fruit and gin. Fuck yeah, I'll have one. So what have you done? You've simplified uh, the first contact after the menu has been given between the bartender and the and the and the guest and it's fucking awesome yeah that's simplicity it's like you've translated you know what your expectation of you know their order is uh, into a reality and it's it's um you know a, a menu should be there to kind of like give a bit of buffer for the guest but also to it's your own promotion of your concept so if that's your, if that's intimidating, if that's that kind of like 
creates misunderstandings, then you've done something wrong again, yeah. you know? So uh, instead of like trying to uh, make things complicated because you want to look like a pro, just make it simple because yeah. you are a pro. Yeah. And that's, that's approachability is a mixture of experience and empathy for me. Yeah, nice. It's, uh, it's like, you know that what you're doing is good. Now all you have to do is convince someone who doesn't know that what you're doing is good. Yeah. And it's in your hands. It's not in theirs, you know? Have you, uh, have you ever read Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, the New York restaurateur? I wish I did, but no, I haven't. No, okay. I have anyway. it on my shelf and I still haven't read it. Okay. Anyway, so like in, in that book, uh, he's talking about uh, he's talking about the first restaurant and second, the third and 40th restaurant that he's opened. And he was talking about the bracket in time when he was choosing a name for his first restaurant. And he was like, thumbing it over in his head. And I think it was his dad was just like, just name it what it is. Name it the address. Union Square Cafe. It's a cafe on Union Square. Just call it Union Square Cafe. It's like make it easy for the customers to understand what exactly. it is. Yeah. It's it's uh, sometimes simplicity is the best. I mean that's what I believe in anyway. Yeah. And uh, and it's turning out to be uh, like and the thing is like I'm, I can confidently like talk about those theories because it it works. Like Watson has been for the for a business that's been open for a year and a half has been really really well received and really you successful. You have received a lot of awards. Uh, have yeah, we have like we've had some like accolades and stuff, which is really nice. Yeah. But most importantly, we have a lot of regular customers, That's so which good. means that people come back because when you have like the 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 hype of a first opening, uh, the new opening, sorry, uh, then you know that a lot of people are going to come in. But are they going to come back? You know, and we we have a lot of regular guests, which means that we have we have an eight drinks menu that changes every three months. And people still come back like once a week. Eight drinks, meaning eight cocktails. Eight cocktails, yeah, yeah okay. sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the cocktail offering is only eight items on the menu. Yeah. And people still come back, you know, so. Go, going back to what you were saying a second ago about how you, you won't write rhubarb cordial, you just write rhubarb. Mm -hmm. There is, I've seen, quite a substantial amount of work that you guys put into making these elements of cocktails. Like, I have no idea what the machine's called, but the sciency machine that spins around in circles. Very sciency. Yeah, what is it called? And uh, so we have a little lab in the basement. Uh, we call it the lab because it actually has lab equipment. So uh, we have a centrifuge, which uh, is a pharmaceutical piece of equipment that just basically spins things very fast. Uh, it's used to separate ingredients. So in, uh, in the pharmaceutical world, I don't even know why they use it, to be honest. But in the cocktail world, we separate any kind of liquid from the solid. So that's how we clarify ingredients. Ultimately, we separate. Uh, say you put like bananas and like banana uh, like puree, and then all you have at the bottom is like a solid a disc of uh, banana, and then the rest is banana water. So uh, we use that for, yeah, to like batch cocktails. And then we have one other device called a rotary evaporator, which is a distillation device that allows you to extract flavor through um, movement, uh, well, the control of movement, atmospheric pressure, and um, temperature. So we can actually distill under vacuum, which allows you to extract flavor at temperature as low as like 35 degrees. Oh, wow. So, um, but it's, it's interesting that, that you asked that because we never mentioned that to guests ever, uh, unless they ask about it. And that's, that's the whole point. It's like the question should come from the guest, you know, it shouldn't be like, 
distilled, uh, I don't know, distilled cherries. No, we write cherry. How does the cherry come into the glass? Oh, it's a, it's, it's a distillate. And if that's enough, cool. If they want to know more about the distillate, we'll just bring them a glass. We'll let them try it. We'll show them the device, whatever, as, not, as much as they want to hear about it. But it shouldn't be in their face because otherwise you create reasons for people to be intimidated. And as soon as you create intimidation, then they will default back to a drink that they know already. So they won't be curious about your, your creations. Or they'll just have a beer, which is or, or, or they'll just think you're a dick for intimidating them. Exactly, intimidating they'll be like, them. "Well, that sucks. I won't come back." You <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. And uh, so, like, there's this, you know, there's a difference between misunderstanding and create creating misunderstanding and create and, and creating curiosity. Mm. So, like, it's absolutely fantastic to have the feeling that people are keen to hear about what you're doing and to be able to share that passion. But uh, if people don't understand what you're doing, then that's and they ask questions about, you know. Like, for example, why is my drink so small? Or uh, why is the ice so big? You know, like, that's like, okay, they don't understand what you're doing and what have you done wrong, you know? Yeah. But if they're like, oh, why is this drink so obviously uh, passion fruit heavy, even though it's completely clear? And then you're like, well, do you want to hear about it? <laughs> sure. Well, we do something called clarification. So you have no color, but you have the flavor. Oh, cool. How does that work? And that's the kind of question. And that's the kind of like, uh, you know, curiosity that we like to to capitalize on. Planting seeds, that's so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. Yeah. yeah, creating curiosity yeah. is so, so good. Um, I've also seen that you, like you and Sam and the rest of the team as well, do like regular, I guess you can call them cameo, cameo <laughs> shifts all, <laughs> all over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shifts, like all over, all over the world or like yeah. at least all over Europe and then mm -hmm. also recently in the States and stuff like that. Yeah. How, how does that, how does that work? Is that a, is, is that a normal thing in the bar industry to like? Yes. So it's um, just like in the, in the restaurant world, you have, uh, you know, 50 best restaurants and you have like all kinds of rewards that if you get them are a massive source of extra income um and um so the the way that works is that you're gonna have to promote your bar and you get invited and then so it is like genuine connections with people from like all around the world that share the same passion as you uh but it is also like a definitely there's a sense of like promotion and uh, if you you know if you get into those lists those awards those rankings then uh, you get a lot of like articles written about you and it's kind of like free promotion. So it's uh, it's kind of like campaigning that a lot of bars do. Okay. And doing guest shifts is the best way to showcase what you're doing. Okay, uh, cool. It's also a great way to travel. So like last year was a very busy year and I went to South Africa, went to... Uh, I went to Hamburg. <laughs> <laughs> Got zone three bus tickets. <laughs> now I went to, uh, we went to Greece twice, went to London. I went to, this year I went to Dubai, um, going to India in August, um, Singapore in November. Have you been to India before? No. India no, no. is amazing yeah it i'm really excited one of my favorite countries so it's like it's amazing to feel like i'm a i'm a i'm a non-skilled worker whatever they say in the in the news but i still get to see like the fucking world with my job you know yeah it's so cool um so yeah it's uh it's a lot, like a lot of collaborations with brands that trust us and it's kind of like it's, it's a real win-win you know brands yeah. believe in us so they finance a lot of trips and in exchange we 
do cool shit with their products. Yeah, is that, a, is that also something that happens in these kind of high-end bars like Wax On? You'll get approached by a brand of alcohol. Do they like sponsor you or do they yeah. kind of give you kickbacks? Or how, do, how yeah, does that work? Yeah, you have a bit of both. So what the, like we, the, the way we like to, to work with brands is like, yeah, it's cool to have one euros kickback per bottle of rum. But what we care more about is how can you support us throughout the year and how can we actually foster a, a, a real win-win collaboration between the bar and the brand? So okay. what is it? What is important to the brand these days is, yeah. Uh, what is important to the bar, uh, to brands these days is um, obviously endorsement, which is the biggest thing that, yeah, it, it's like, it's so important for for brands to be endorsed by bartenders. So like you will be, uh, as a brand, you'll be seen in a bar and you'll see bartenders proudly pour your products without having any prompt from you. Yeah. That's the best kind of fucking uh, promotion. Um, but obviously these days with social media as well, we've been doing a lot of videos, for example. So like we're gonna use your products uh, in a video um, and it's, it's kind of like the modern side of bartending as well is that it's not just in the bar. It's also like on social media, on, you know, outside, you're kind of like an ambassador to your bar. Yeah, okay. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, nice. <clears throat> during, the, during the startup phase, the creation process of uh, Wax On, were, were, were all of these kind of like ideas and, yeah, ideas, I guess ethos was it in place or was it also part of this like building an airplane mid-flight like did you did you did you and sam and everyone kind of like have a have an understanding of the bar's character and kind of what it stood for before the doors opened or was it like let's open the doors let's have a high quality bar and we'll see what it kind of grows up into develops into it's a good question i think it's uh it's a mixture of the of the two uh obviously there was um there was a certain idea of like coming back with a revenge with that bar because uh, both uh, Sam and myself, so it's Sam's bar, just, just so you know, it's like it's, I'm not involved in, a, I'm not a part owner, but I was definitely there from like since day one. Um, and we had both been burned by previous uh, owners, bosses, you know, both had very negative experiences. Um, and we like Sam was like, I'm I'm gonna open a bar and it's gonna stand against everything that has burnt me in the past. Uh, any kind of like toxic behaviors, toxic, uh, yeah, toxicity in the bar world, and um, that's gonna be a safe space for people who come to the bar as guests or who work in the bar with me and for me. Uh, so that was definitely like a one of the one of the like starting pillars. pillars yeah, yeah, exactly. But then we also realized that as the bar opened and despite the success of the bar that we still needed the support of like, even just like our partners, for example, like it was a lot of fucking work at the beginning, you know? And uh, every, every time you have a bit of a of resistance, you know, you're like, actually, I, I can't do this alone. You know, you always need people around you. And um, I don't think there's such thing as like self-made people. You always have a certain support system around you, you know? I'm definitely quoting Arnold Schwarzenegger here. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, um, and yeah, so it's kind of like, I think it brought a lot of, uh, of um, humility and also a lot of uh, appreciation and empathy. We're like, 
I mean, I've seen Sam with tears in his eyes more than once being like, I can't believe how fucking kind people are to us and wanting to give back. And like, it sounds really like romantic and bullshit, but it's actually true. Like, it's so fucking awesome to see that in the, in Weserstrasse, people choose to come to Waxon when there's like a hundred bars there that are cheaper than us. And they still come and choose to spend the evening with us. You know, that kind of started like, like wow, we better, you know, own up that it. reputation and yeah. like make sure that we deserve it. Yeah. So uh, I think it kind of like creates an environment where we're like, yeah, thank you. Like gratitude, you know, hashtag blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Live, laugh, love. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, working, working in the bar industry, would you say that you have a healthy relationship with alcohol? Because I imagine that it is kind of playing with fire for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Uh, I, f- I feel like this is going to be the moment where we have reference to cycling. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think what's really hard as bartenders is uh, I'm going to try and make it short because I believe that a lot of the problems with uh, work-life balance in the bar industry is down to uh, any moment that you're awake, you're doing it to promote yourself and to, uh, to try and move forward in the bar world. So you work, you start bartending and you work 40, 45 hours a week behind the bar. But then outside of that, you're also going to go to other bars to see what they're doing. You're going to travel uh, and go on holiday with your wife. And you're like, well, there's an amazing cocktail bar in that city. I want to go check it out. So you actually never switch off. And it's really hard to kind of like distance yourself from your own interests, your professional interests, because it becomes a hobby, it becomes your community, it becomes everything about your life. And um, I think until you're actually given the tools to say, hey, it shouldn't all be about work, um, you don't realize that it's not. And uh, for me, it took like a hobby that I really liked to realize that if I don't get to do that hobby, it means that I'm working too much. And um, so like, and also like, and then through that hobby to make other friends that know nothing about what I do professionally. And it's so fucking refreshing. That hobby being cycling. Being cycling, yeah. yeah. So then like, well, then I guess you're what could be an exception where like you're the second thing that you do. You have mm-hmm. bartending with alcohol and the second thing that you do is actually like alcohol is completely counterproductive. Exactly. For cycling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. it's actually such a good, uh, good way to kind of like mirror my own uh, like, you know, healthiness. Yeah. So for example, like a few weeks ago, I was like, I have to... I can't drink tonight because I want to be up at nine in the morning tomorrow and be able to leave at 10 to go join my friends who aren't from the bartending world and for whom getting up at nine is just lying in, you know? And um, so like, we're like, oh, come on, have a shot, have a shot. It's like, no, I want to, I want to get up tomorrow. And then the fucking pride of like getting up in the morning and being like, I'm a bartender and I'm a sober bartender, at least last night. And, uh, and, uh, and now I'm going to, I'm going to go cycle and have a whole day to myself is just the most fucking gratifying thing uh, that I've had in a long time. That's so good. It's with, so good. With uh, with wine and also with coffee, there is uh, spittoon. Is it the same? The spittoon is in yeah. like, the, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, you suck the liquid into your mouth, you taste it, and then you spit it out. So mm-hmm. then you don't have the caffeine in your body or the the booze from mm-hmm. wine. Does that also exist for cocktails? Is, is that I mean, part of a culture of tasting or is it like you drink cocktails because you're refined, mm-hmm. look at this distinguished gentleman type thing? I think there's definitely, um, I mean, it, it could exist, of course, but there's definitely, it's definitely not common practice. Okay. Uh, the way that it is in uh, in wine, for example. I I tend to, I, I, I think, I believe that I have a pretty uh, delicate palate 
And if I drink too much, my palate gets exhausted very, very fast. So if I if I'm doing like a, a session where I'm putting drinks together for the menu, I will try and have like as little sips as possible because otherwise I can't taste anything anymore. Mm. Um, Palate fatigue. Yeah, really. Yeah, sure. it, it's a thing. It's like, yeah. and then you put a drink together. It's like, oh, that's banging. And then you try again and put it together for the menu, batch it. And then you realize it tastes like shit because your palate was just exhausted. (laughs) And um, so um, I'm aware of that. And I care a lot more about making cocktails for people than drinking them. I literally never drink cocktails. Like, (laughs) I don't drink cocktails. (laughs) I literally, I have no idea what my drinks is. What is a cocktail? (laughs) What's a cocktail? (laughs) No, but like, if I go to a bar, I'm much more excited about, about wine and things that, I get the same excitement about as guests ex- get excitement about when it comes to our bar for cocktails. Yeah, nice. I, I like this feeling of like surrendering and that's what hospitality is about because Servitude, any, servitude and, for sure. No, yeah. but, no, but like it's, it's any, any fucking monkey could get a, a bottle of sweet vermouth, Campari and gin and make a Negroni at home. Yeah. Yet you go to every single bar in the world and order the same fucking Negroni even though you know what it's going to taste like. So what is it that you want? That's your own answers but uh, for me, it's this idea of like, I am not doing anything for this. I am sitting down and someone's going to bring me water. And if I spill it, they're even going to wipe it. <laughs> but it's like, and then they're going to tell me about a wine that I've never seen before. And it's going to be amazing. And I don't know. I don't want to know where they got it. If I can get it online. No, I want to know that I had this like exciting wine and, uh, and I paid someone to do this amazing job and they did it wonderfully and I'm going to go home with a fucking smile on my face, you yeah. know? And uh, if I if I start drinking cocktails in bars, I don't have the same excitement because I tend to f- have everything filtered through my own experience, uh, my own uh, beliefs and my own, you know, expertise, so to say. Yeah. So I never really fully enjoy a cocktail as much as I would for like wine, beers, coffee. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh Let's start wrapping this up. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's what's new? What's on the horizon? What do you what do you want to talk about? Um, what's new? Got any, I don't got, know any what's new. got any trips coming up? Got any yeah, as I said, going to uh, so going to India in uh, in uh, August, which is going to be. Is this a holiday or is this for? No, work? it's for work. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're being uh, very generously flown over by. Uh, uh, by someone who is working very hard uh, called Priyanka to um, to promote uh, how amazing the cocktail culture has become in India. Okay. So we're going to Bangalore and Mumbai. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to make some wax on drinks, oh, wait, meet wait, some wait. people. When, when are you going to go there? Uh, in August. Okay. It's going to be very humid. I was just about to say, <laughs> I was just about to say like, it, it is really warm in Father yeah. Carpenter where we're sitting now. We're basically sitting in a pile of sweat. <laughs> India at that point in time is very yeah. warm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I'm still really grateful like for, for the opportunity. And then, yeah, I, uh, I work for a company called BCB as well. I'm doing some consulting for them. They organize bar shows around the world. What does BCB uh, stand for? Uh, bar Convent Berlin. Okay. So it's basically a trade show, but with a strong focus on education and um, yeah, networking. And they have their first kickoff uh, BCB event in November in Singapore. And uh, I'm going to go there, which is also very exciting because I've never been to I've never been to Asia actually. Oh wow! Yeah, cool. exciting. Yeah, so I'm going to be going east in the next six months. So cool. Yeah, and uh, and then yeah, and then we'll see what happens in my private life as well.